Outdated. All right, we're in a series on things that are outdated and specifically on beliefs that are outdated. And just like fashion goes in and out of style, unfortunately, things in the Bible that people used to believe, go, they go in and out of style too. And we don't like to admit that because it sounds like we're hypocrites or it sounds like something's wrong with us because the Bible should always be true and we should always believe it. And yet, there's some stuff in the Bible that's just hard to believe, and, and we quickly decide that it's outdated. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about hell being outdated, that, you know, this whole concept that, that there's a hell and people would go there for eternity. Ah, that's just a belief that's outdated. I mean, why would we believe that? That seems weird. Um, and then last week, this is terrible, last week we talked about another thing that was outdated, and I'm standing up here forgetting what it was, but it's outdated, and I preached it, and I got nothing. But today, I even taught it in small group on Wednesday. Isn't that terrible? And I'm sure we had a spirited discussion, but I barely remember yesterday. Today, we're talking about another topic that's outdated, and it is this idea that Jesus is going to return, the, the return of Christ. Now, every Christian who believes the Bible would say that Christ is going to return. But this idea that 2,000 years ago, a man walked on this earth, died on a cross, and we're going to believe that he's coming back and, and he's going to reign, and his angels are going to come with him, and they're going to reign. That's just a belief that's outdated. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to turn to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24. I'm, I'm still thinking about what was last week, so I'm sorry. I'm still like, stink, what was it? Creation. Thank you. Thank you. It was outdated. Creation that God actually created the world. Thank you for remembering. I, I just faked that I couldn't remember just to see if you guys remembered. Um, okay, so return of Christ. Like Jim talked about, we, we are celebrating Palm Sunday. And this is, this is the day that we celebrate that Jesus rode on a donkey in and, and Jim talked about getting, we used to get palm branches, I remember that, and also didn't know what to do with them except hit your brother um, with those long palm branches. But this is the celebratory, everybody went crazy. Yeah, Jesus is here, Hosanna, Hosanna. And he rode in on a donkey and they were all excited. And then five days later, they killed him. My, how the crowds changed how they felt. Um, but Matthew 24 talks specifically about, well, Jesus talks about it, his return. So Jesus and his disciples, they've been walking through the temple and uh, they're leaving the temple, and, and this is, so verse 1, Matthew 24. We're going to read almost the whole chapter today in pieces. So verse 1, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things? He asked. Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and, and what will be the sign of your coming 
and the end of the age. So here's how I picture this happening. They're walking around this amazing temple, and it, it was an amazing temple. It had been, so it was under construction for 49 years before this instant. It would continue to be under construction for another couple decades. Actually, it took them 80 years to complete the temple. Now, it was pretty complete at this point. However, the, they were still putting some ornate details on it. Um, th this is an amazing. I, I have a little video that walks us through the temple. So the eighth wonder of the ancient world, largest structure in all of Jerusalem. You've got the outer courts, and then you've got the inner courts where all the sacrifices were being made. Behind that curtain would have been the Holy of Holies, where only the high priest could go in one time a year. And that was the curtain that was torn when Jesus died. <clears throat> so this temple was so large, 30 football fields large. In fact, there were, there were pillars in there, 162 columns that were 30 feet high, and they were so big around it took three men to circle these, these columns, 162 of them, all built out of individual stones, one stone each. I can't imagine them constructing this, this facility. Um, this temple is where Jesus flipped over the tables and chased the money changers out. This would have been where all of the Jews would go to offer sacrifices. Well known, on a, on a hill. And Jesus says it's going to be all destroyed. In fact, about 40 years later, after Jesus says this to his disciples, the Romans destroyed Jerusalem and killed over a million Jews. The temple was destroyed, and what Jesus said would happen. Not one stone was left on another. Every stone was thrown down. So the temple, which took 80 years to build, was destroyed eight years after its completion. <laughs> Jesus talks about this temple, and at the end of this talk, the disciples say, probably what we would say, okay, wait, 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 Jesus, wait, wait, go back. You said something about you're going to return? Tell us more. And, and not only tell us more, but we want to know, how will we know, we've done this, right? How will we know when Jesus is coming back? Like, give me the signs. Tell me what's going to happen. So what are the signs that Jesus is going to return? Well, Jesus talks about it. So verse 4, Jesus answered the disciples and he said, Watch out that no one deceives you. So Jesus begins this discussion by saying, there's a lot of crazies out there. <laughs> All right? A lot of people are going to be deceived by this topic. Be very careful that you are not one of them who is deceived. Verse 5, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nations will rise against nations and kingdoms against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All of these are the beginning of of birth pains. 
Okay, so Jesus says there's going to be false messiahs, there's going to be wars, there's going to be rumors of wars. That's what the phrase that I heard growing up was all the time, you know, oh, wars and rumors of wars. Well, there's wars, so Jesus is just coming tomorrow. Famine, we know there's famine, so Jesus is coming tomorrow, and, and Jesus says, no, no, those are just the beginning of birth pains. All of these have to take place. They're not necessarily a sign that Jesus' Jesus' return is now. It, it's a bunch of things that have to take place in order for Jesus to return. I, specifically, wars. There have been 163 wars in the last 100 years. 14 of those wars saw over 100,000 people killed. And five of those wars saw over a million people killed. We have had a lot of wars the last 100 years. But that's not a sign. Jesus didn't say, and when you see wars, then you know I'm coming back. No, no, he said, this is just a part of the process. We will have kingdom against kingdom, nation against nation, wars and rumors of wars, but the end is still to come. Verse 9, he says, then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations. All right, well, we know that there have been wars. I mean, if, that, if you were going to say, is that fulfilled or not, we know that we have enough wars. So if, if we have to have wars before Jesus comes back, we're there. What about this? What about this one? That, that, that will be handed over, persecuted, put to death. Um, you will be hated by all nations. Well, for hundreds of years, all nations didn't even know that Christians existed, to be honest. That followers of Jesus existed. Now, it's pretty well known. I mean, we have technology. We have information. We are a global economy, a global... I guess our... our our world seems smaller and smaller with technology. And so if you were going to say, has this one been fulfilled or not? Um, I would say today people are aware in all nations that there are Jesus followers. I'm not sure that all nations hate us yet. But it's heading that way. It's certainly partially fulfilled. Verse 10, at that time, many will turn away from the faith. And we'll betray and hate each other. Okay, so we're going to hear a lot of stories about people who no longer follow Jesus. That sounds familiar. If I was to look at that verse and say, has that one happened? Unfortunately, I think we're there. Verse 11, many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Well, 1.9 billion people follow the prophet Muhammad. 20 million people follow the prophet Joseph Smith. And there are a bunch of other just small religious groups in our world. There's there's one called, um, a lesser known one called Iglesia Ni Cristo which has over 20 million followers of the false prophet Felix Manalo. It's probably Manalo, but 
Manilow, Felix Manilow has 1,400 million followers, 20 million followers. That's crazy. Has, have we seen false prophets appear and deceive many people? Oh, yeah. And, and we'll continue to see that, I'm sure. Verse 12. Because of the increase. So Jesus is just describing these things to the disciples. Because of the increase in wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. The love of most will grow cold. Do we live in a hate-filled world or do we live in a love-filled world? (laughs) Wow. We live in a hate-filled world, don't we? How Jesus described that is exactly. We've seen that one fulfilled. And, And this gospel, verse 14, of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, whether or not this one has been fulfilled has to do with how we define nations. Um, you know, and, and some would say, well, there has to be Scripture written in every language, nation, tongue, tribe then, in order for this to be true. Others would say, oh no, this is just developed nations, and, and the developed nations of the world would need to have God's Word. I, I don't have any idea specifically what this means, except to say we certainly have God's Word. God's Word has been translated to the vast majority of the world. And in the next three years, um, Bible scholars, Bible interpreters, Bible translators say that they will have a copy of God's Word to every known tongue, every known language within the next three, three years. So I don't know how to interpret this one except to say most people know the story of Jesus or have access to the story of Jesus. And Jesus says then, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to the nations and then the end will come. Verse 15 so, when you, stand, when, you're, when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the readers understand. Okay, this is, this is a goofy one. In fact, when I was in junior high, I took this verse to my teacher in junior high, and I said, what is this? What is the abomination that causes desolation? And he didn't know. But he told my dad. And my dad came and talked to me. And my dad asked me whether I really wanted to know or was I just trying to stump the junior high teacher. And I don't know whether I had nefarious desires or not, but this is a weird term. The abomination that causes desolation. What is that? Well, the disciples would have known exactly what Jesus was talking about. So, Back, back before Jesus, there, there were, Daniel chapter 11 was written, and it talked about four nations that were going to come, and they were going to rule the world. The four nations were the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans. And in 168 B.C., a Greek king named, named 
Antiochus Epiphanes, he invaded and took over Jerusalem. He hated the Jews. Upon taking over Jerusalem, he went into the Holy of Holies. He brought in a statue of Zeus, the Greek god Zeus, and he sacrificed a pig on the altar of incense in the Holy of Holies to the Greek god Zeus. This was the abomination that caused desolation. So the Jewish people who, who knew that pigs were unclean, the Jewish people who would never desecrate the Holy of Holies, if they had been asked, what is the abomination that causes desolation, they would have said, right there, Antiochus Epiphanes, when he marched into Jerusalem in 168 B.C., and he did that in the Holy of Holies, that's what you're talking about. Now, he went on to the desolation part. Antiochus did. In fact, he, he uh, tortured and killed over 80,000 Jews and then sent another 40,000 away to slavery um, because he hated the Jews. Jesus says, though, there's going to be something else. We see Jesus saying that the abomination that causes desolation that Daniel predicted is still to come. So what they would have defined as that, Jesus is saying, oh no, there's going to be something else that comes. And before, apparently before Jesus returns, there will be a similar defilement of a Jewish and or Christian sacred Something. What is that going to be? I don't know. I, I don't know. It, is, uh, is that against God's word? I don't know. Is that against the church? I don't know. But something will come that's an abomination that causes desolation on followers of Jesus and or the Jewish people. So we have a big long list of what Jesus says. These are the signs of when I come. He's talking to the disciples. So, so Jesus keeps going. And, and what characterizes his return? We, we saw the signs, but here are some things that we know about his return. First of all, it's going to be very obvious. Verse 24, or verse 23, his return is going to be very obvious. Here's what he says. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it, for false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is out in the wilderness, or do not, do not go out, or here he is in the inner room, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. You see, Jesus' first coming was at night, in the dark, in a stable, in a manger. Very few people knew that he had showed up. His next coming will be like lightning that flashes in the east and everybody sees it in the west. It will be obvious when Jesus returns. 
Everyone will know. You won't sneak in. Like, what just happened? I don't know. No, it'll be obvious. There's, a, there's another mark, that, another characteristic of his return. It will be met with great sadness. And this one kind of perplexed me. Because I thought, great sadness, I don't understand. Well, here, here's what he says, verse 30. Then will appear the, the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the people of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with great power and great glory. Why will the world be sad when Christ returns? I think a couple reasons. Because they hate him and because they know he is coming to judge. Why was I sad when my mom and dad came home earlier than I thought they were going to? <laughs> After I had been left at home with a list of chores. <laughs> we see the lights, they're coming. No way! Ah! That's interesting to me, that the world will be sad. The, the third thing, not only will it be obvious, not only will there be sadness, but the third characteristic is it, it will be at an unknown time. Verse 36, it, it says very clearly, but about the day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Uh, Jesus goes on to, to talk more about that. He says, um, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage up to the day of, uh, that Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and it took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken. The other will be left. Two women will be grinding in a hand mill. One will be taken. The other will be left. Therefore, keep watch. Because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. <clears throat> He's very clear about that. And yet, in our world, there is guessing all the time. I couldn't possibly name all the times when people, famous people, wealthy people, have guessed when Jesus was coming back. Because they did the math. And they had all the numbers worked out and then you do this number of days and this number of weeks in Daniel and this number of years and then this happened and then you carry the one and you end up that he's coming back tomorrow. And a bunch of people believe it and they follow, that, they follow these guys and they sell all their stuff. And I, I'm reminded of that, uh, um, the, the cult, the Hale-Bopp cult. Do you remember the Hale-Bopp cult? And they had figured out that when Haley's Comet comes back, then Jesus is going to return. And they all dressed in, in clothes and wore Nike tennis shoes. And I think there were 31 of them that died. All killed themselves. Known as the Hale-Bopp cult. Because they had figured it out. That Jesus was going to return at this time, at this date. And that date came and that date went. So... <clears throat> We have a couple choices. We can either 
We can either trust really clever, smart people who come up with these amazing dates, or we can trust what Jesus says, that nobody knows the time. And, and I would say, I don't know the time. I know that he's coming back. And uh, somebody said one time, Jesus is coming back, act busy. <laughs> I thought, huh, <laughs> that's a good one. That's what the Bible says. He's coming back. The, the world stage has been set. He could return very soon. Doesn't mean he's going to, but he could. And he says, I will come and nobody will know the time or date. So the real question is, then how do we live? I mean, that's really the question that's before us today. As followers of Jesus, how, do I, how does this information, this outdated truth affect me? Well, I think we need to live with a sense of urgency. And I don't know that I always fully grasp that. I don't... Oh, I live very busy. But I don't think that all the busy in my life... I'm not busy with things that I should... that I'd be very proud of Jesus finding me on. So there's two... Two things I thought of here. One is, how should we then live? Verse, verse 44, it says, so you, must, so you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Jesus just tells his disciples, be ready. Be ready. Okay, and, and the first part of that would be, be ready spiritually. Ladies and gentlemen, if, if you have not, if you have not asked Jesus to be your forgiver and the leader of your life, I think that is the most important thing you need to think about. Because Jesus is going to come back. And God's word says that, that, he, is, that he is willing to be our forgiver. He is willing to give us hope and peace and make us a new creation with the old gone and the new come. But that means we have to repent and place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for our eternal security. He also wants to be the leader of our lives. And I think for me, wanting a forgiver, that's easy. But having somebody else control my life, that's difficult. But that's what Jesus wants. Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Because it's with your mouth that you confess and are baptized. It's with your heart that you believe and are saved. That's the most important decision you will make. And I, I just plead with you to get that figured out. First, Jesus will return. I believe it. It's an outdated belief that is still true. And when he returns, he will judge us. And those who have their name written in the Lamb's Book of Life will get to spend an eternity with him. And those that do not will spend an eternity in hell apart from him. That's what God's word says.
So that's number one. For, for those of us who have placed our faith and trust in Christ alone for salvation, verse 46 is for us. It says to live like Jesus is coming back and like he's our Savior. Verse 46, it will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. I, I should read more context. Uh, verse, verse 45, who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It, it would be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. In other words, if, if we've been given charge over something in life, if, we have, if, if Jesus left and said, here's what I want you to do, this, it would be good for us to be living this way when he comes back. And the question I think that's before me, and it should be before all of us, is what do we want to get caught doing? When Jesus shows up, what do you want to be caught doing? I really hope when he comes back, I'm watching my favorite television show. Because that'll make him so proud that I'm wasting more time that he gave me. I just hope when he come, comes back, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm writing that last Facebook message. Because, man, he'll be so proud of me. What do, we, what do you want to be caught doing? Or he shows up and he catches you praying for somebody who's going through a hard time in life. Or he shows up and he catches you writing an encouragement note to somebody who's going through a hard time. Or he shows up and he finds you in small group, in a group of other followers of Jesus, and you're fellowshipping together. What do you want to get caught doing when Jesus shows up? There's very little in the Bible about saving up ammunition and guns and food and building a bunker. Very little about that. Quite honestly, I'd really like to build a bunker, but that's a side note. Um, there's very little about that in here. Jesus says, be ready. And I fear that for me, I'm going to be very busy with a lot of stuff that probably doesn't matter. Because I, I seem to be very good at being very busy with a lot of stuff that doesn't matter. What is he going to catch you doing? There's a whole list of things I want him to catch me doing. There's also a whole list of things I don't want him catch me do, catching me doing. <clears throat> Maybe he'll catch you reading the rhyme Bible to your grandkids or to your children. Maybe he'll catch you doing family devotions in the Action Bible. Maybe... Maybe he'll catch you making Easter baskets with the real meaning of Easter book 
as you pray for each grandchild and you stick a book in there and you're praying that they understand that Easter's not about the Easter Bunny, it's about Jesus. Maybe he'll catch you serving each other. Maybe, maybe he'll catch you at the store buying foster care gifts for the backpacks. Maybe he'll catch you taking teacher gifts to the school. I don't know. Maybe, hopefully he will not catch you passing on the double yellow line going faster than the speed limit says. Sam will catch you doing that. You know, it is hard when you think about this. We need to be living like he's going to return because he said he is. Easter's coming. It's Sunday. There are plenty of people in my life that I need to invite to come next week to hear about Jesus. There are plenty of people that you know that need to come because they need to hear about Jesus. He is going to return. I believe it. Outdated, sure. True, still. Let's, uh, let's be living in a way that, that will please God when, he come, when, when Jesus comes back. Let's pray. Father, this is a, this is a tough sermon because I, I feel like I'm very busy on a bunch of stuff that probably doesn't matter. And I shouldn't be. I just pray that you'd help me Help me to live in a way that, that is intentional about the things that, that you value. I know busy isn't success. It's just busy. And so, God, please help us. Help us to stop doing those things that, that we wouldn't want you to catch us doing and help us to focus on, on what you've asked us to do. You told us not to isolate. You told us to infiltrate. Help us to be better disciples and then help us to make more disciples for Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.